electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, live from separate locations. Futures are weak on this uh, first day of May as we watch those earnings out of Apple, Amazon, Exxon, Chevron. Got an increase in U.S.-China trade tensions as well, with the president threatening additional tariffs. Oil is up 6%. But, Jim, all kinds of reasons being given for the weakness today. Uh, the new month, uh, Europe's closed, Apple div- didn't give a forecast, uh, and this White House commentary as well. Well, if you had to rate them, I would start with White House commentary, because the Apple uh, stock, even, before, even after you knew that there was no guidance, was up rather dramatically. And then when we got word... Uh, that the United States was going to retaliate in some form against China. That was it. It gave up the ghost. Uh, It also accelerated the decline in Amazon. I would point out that we did have the greatest month since uh, (laughs) since 1987. So in that January month, by the way, was augmented by tremendous uh, Japanese buying in 87. So it was it was artificial. Uh, This was a very solid rally off the bottom. And I think it's time to be able to consolidate and that there's no sin to consolidation. Just we got to get used to consolidation, meaning a 400 point Dow rather than a 100 point Dow. All right. So consolidation, um, we went down 35 percent in 24 sessions. Then we went up 35 percent in 27 sessions. So what does consolidation mean right now? Well, to me, consolidation uh, has to do with the idea that we give up some of this last gain. Uh, The last gain, I think, was a big short squeeze in uh, airlines, short squeeze in travel, uh, leisure. We started believing in Marriott up 10. And then yesterday we had a, a kind of a a really strange day where the most important thing that happened was that Boeing got $25 billion and it was way oversubscribed, and he did it at 5%. I say it's the most important thing because if you look at what the real black holes are in our economy, it's giant companies like Boeing. And then, of course, and we'll speak to Larry Kudlow, all the smaller companies that add up to, say, 50 million people. Uh, it, to take Boeing off the table is a godsend. But it also is a recognition that if that's all you're really hoping for, we're going to have a backslide. Watch Southwest Air. They priced the deal well below the market. If, the, if that thing goes through 28, say, then you're going to realize that uh, it was a mistake to buy it. And that's what I'm focused on is can you do secondaries to raise money? Well, yeah, or initial uh, offerings of stock, we should yes. say, to be specific. Yes. From the company to raise actual equity capital, not right. a secondary Primaries. seller. Primaries. Um, yeah, of course. Right. Uh, we've got, uh, kind of gotten loose with that term through the years, Jim. Right. Um, right. You know, I was listening to John Rogers on uh, at the end of Squawk Box there talking about, you know, one day the market's going to change. You can't be led by five names. And eventually active management's going to come back into to, uh, to vogue. And I can't help but thinking, man, I feel like I've heard that before. Oh, about a thousand times for the last 20 years. That Microsoft conference call uh, where Satya talk about, look, uh, we're really set up for this moment. Uh, the conversation uh, that Josh and I had with Tim Cook before the conference call pretty much set up for this moment. Uh, Amazon set up for this moment. 
Netflix may be the stock that's most set up for this moment. And Google now Alphabet yep. crushed it. So I just I, I think John's right. I think the active stock pickers are back already. But this is Fang's moment again. And remember, we can call it Fang. Only Apple really has Chinese exposure. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with stocks that are once again set up for the moment? Maybe these are just better companies to realize. I thought that the Amazon conference call was incredible. They basically said, hey, listen, guys, we're not making any money. We're setting up. Uh, stick with us. And I mean, that's what great companies do. That's just what great companies right. do. $4 billion, $4 billion in incremental costs related to COVID. $300 million they're going to spend on testing. Testing. Jim, uh, which I thought was just an astounding sum. It makes you wonder how many other companies are going to be hit with a significant testing bill, if that's a part of their reopening plan in some way or getting back to work, I should say. Not that they're reopening because everybody's been working from home. Well, I think it's the United States of Amazon. That 33 percent growth. Say again, Jim. It's the United States of Amazon. You can't get testing. So they decide, well, we'll take care of it. U.S. healthcare, No. Amazon healthcare. Yeah. Um, AWS seems to have disappointed people, though, given the growth in Azure, even at Google Cloud, obviously off smaller bases, although Azure is getting awfully large. But at the 33 percent growth, I know it sounds funny, 33 percent growth nonetheless was a bit shy. And they sort of talked about a mixed bag of industries in the call there in terms of, uh, of AWS, which, as we know, is a very important part right. overall of the profitability of the company. They did not see a decline in advertising the way that many had anticipated. I talked about that as a possibility for Amazon as well. Ads still strong. Yes, a little bit of a dip in March, the same way, of course, Google uh, or Alphabet and, uh, and Facebook saw. But really, a lot of the advertising is by their merchants and it seemed to be continued strong, at least according to the commentary. Right. I, I, I liked advertising. I was a little uh, confused about AWS. Then I started thinking about uh, Thomas Curian, uh, who now runs Google Cloud, and how much better he is than the old days. Uh, Azure was so incredibly strong. I know the Amazon people have been adamant that they said that they haven't been losing share. But if, if you want to know where the growth was, it was with the other two. And I do think that it's Something we have to monitor. I, this company has a lot of moving parts. And if you go over what the revenues were, they're incredibly strong. But, yeah, I mean, I like to see uh, uh, Andy Jassy make plus 40 percent. And I know that that sounds crazy that you have to do that. But, in a world, you know, you, you've got better competitors now than they had two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the street, Jim, uh, 15 price target hikes today on Amazon. Right. Four of them at 3K. Uh, JPM goes to 3K from 25.25. I mean, what, 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 what is a reasonable price, even if you're willing to look past uh, Q2? I, I do think that it can go to 3K. And the reason I say that is because let's say they really set it up. Uh, I think that six months from now, most of their competition, uh, say, in grocery will be gone. Uh, I mean that. I mean, you know, you're just going to get hurt very badly in grocery. Uh, it, it, Walmart will still be there. Uh, Target will still be there. Kroger will still be there. But they talked, they talked openly about how they're going to really go after food. And food had been the one area that they hadn't been able to do. So they go after food. And they remember, they also had to cut back on what they were shipping. Now they're going to go back and be able to do uh, everything. And they also talked about how Amazon Entertainment, which they really didn't 
addressed before. So good. Alexa, good. There's so many good things, and they passed up. They had the most, there was too much low-hanging fruit for them to be able to eat this quarter. And I think that's a really high-quality problem. I like, remember, they're very Spartan in what they tell you, but I liked what they told you. And I think that the stock has to come down for some of the reasons we just mentioned, but also because it was up 100 points yesterday, which made no sense. In the same way that Apple was up big, that made no sense. So we had an exuberant yeah. market going into the end, end of the month. And I think that these, these stocks are going to lead us down, but they're going to be the ones you're going to want to buy very quickly. Hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, the other big story, point, Jim, Amazon is comes in... into the session. Up, sorry, Carl, up 34 percent. Just wanted to make that point uh, before, this, before trading today. So the single best performer out there that you can certainly see, even better than Netflix's performance, only outdone by Tesla, of course, which is still up. <laughs> 87 percent. You year, fascist. Paul. You're a fascist if you point that <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, there's a big basket of news, Jim, in testing, vaccines, diagnostics. You had AstraZeneca uh, talking to Richard Engel of NBC saying they hope to have a vaccine ready for emergency use at the end of the year. Uh, Moderna, this uh, 10-year collaboration to make a billion uh, batches of beginning in July. And then, of course, Daniel Day of Gilead uh, on Squawk Box earlier today talking about uh, remdesivir and a lot more. Take a listen. Maybe it's a little bit of a surprise to us that this, that this medicine also worked uh, quite well late in the disease course as well. So, uh, you know, many of these uh, patients in the NIH trial were on mechanical ventilation. We know around 30 percent. So those are the most severe patients. And I think that's something that is um, has a big impact for patients, of course, uh, with so many hospitalized patients in such great need. See, that was really important. All right, so why the downgrades today, Jim? Oh, because they're giving it away. Because they're a company that is a good deed doer and... Um, otherwise known as philanthropists, and we uh, don't award those uh, a, a higher multiple. I mean, what Gilead's doing is trying to save lives, and they, a lot of the drug companies, frankly, have just said, well, we're going to lose a lot of money here because what we really do is save lives, and maybe this is the true colors. I think it is. What was, that interview, by the way, should change. There's so many people who are negative. I'd like Dr. Nissen to come on, too, about it. Uh, what, what, he's been a critic in, on Twitter. What I think that you could find, listen to Mr. O'Day, who gave a lot of time to squawk, what he was really saying is, you know what, there were people who were going to die, and if they hadn't died, they would have died without this. Now, the big issue had been that, more, that it didn't help mortality, so that is kind of at odds. But what he did say was you're going to see subsets. And you're going to see some subsets, and the numbers are going to be, uh, I thought, pretty good. I also thought he made it very clear, like Dr. Fauci, this is a part of a cocktail. There'll be others that are going with it. If you still felt as negative uh, or you st- uh, about what's going to happen with the pandemic after listening to O'Day, then you were not listening. You've made up your mind that we're all going to die like Billy in The Predator. And I just don't think that's the case. I thought that O'Day was very positive. And then Gottlieb, on top of it, noted skeptic, very positive. So the narrative is changing well, the pandemic. A what? Yeah, Jim, Jim, I mean, Gottlieb said it changes the risk profile, which we've talked about, which is great. Um, but I don't know that it really changes anybody's behavior in terms of saying now I feel free to go about my business as I wanted to uh, because well, oh, I may end up in the hospital. But at least I know I'm not or I have a better chance of not dying should I actually end up in the hospital. Well, I, I think mean, we that made it that- very clear that the that the prophylactic oral orally taken antivirals that could be taken prophylactically are still some time away. We hope they're here as quickly as possible. Those are the game changers in a real way, in terms of changing behavior, not remdesivir. 
No, look, I, I make it very clear. If anyone is doing anything different in terms of say, uh, social distancing, in terms of wearing a mask, I know it's controversial. I don't think it should be. They shouldn't. This is a, a really, this is the most dangerous contagion. This is the equivalent to the Spanish flu. I, I guess what I was thinking is that when O'Day said that off a of ventilator, ventilator's a death sentence. Okay, if 80 to 85 percent of the people on a ventilator die, it's nice to think maybe you can push that back. If you can get more people out of the hospital faster, that's positive. But I think that I got to go back to Fauci and feel like that. I do believe that this is the beginning of the end. And it is so, we're so far away from it. I think we're going to have a huge explosion this thing in the fall. And we got to be ready. I hope that there's an inhaler. And I, I don't know about Moderna, but I felt better. I mean, you, look, I. As someone who was worried, I was less worried about being in the hospital. That's all I'm <laughs> saying. Okay, David, I still yeah. don't want to be near uh, you. Right? I still don't want to be near you. Yeah, it's a direction, <laughs> not magnitude, at this point, Jim. Exactly. I think we understand Stay that. Stay away. When, when we come back, we're going to we're going to talk to Larry Kudlow about uh, reopening strategy all around the country. Obviously, markets, the economy, China, tariffs, and a lot more. So don't go away. A lot of news to get to this morning with the director of the National Economic Council, Larry Kudlow, who joins us live. Larry, happy Friday. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate it. Uh, A lot to get to, um, I mean, regarding the reopening. But, I mean, I'm sure you're aware market got a bit of a chill yesterday on these reports of ways the president is thinking about trying to punish China, headlines about uh, avoiding certain debt obligations. You just want to iron that out? Uh, Yes, um as I told Eamon yesterday, uh, full faith and credit of the United States debt obligations is uh, sacrosanct, absolutely sacrosanct. And I might add, uh, the president indicated as much when he was asked about it later in the day. Uh, not only the full faith and credit uh, of our debt obligations and other commitments, but also uh, our intention to keep the dollar as the world's reserve currency. So let me put any of that to rest. Any, China has issues, don't get me wrong, and the president will be dealing with those issues. They have a lot to answer for. Uh, the virus originated there, a lack of transparency, all that will be sorted out. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Over time. But regarding uh, Treasury uh, debt uh, and the full faith and credit of the United States, that will not change. Then what is being considered, Larry, and how do you walk the tightrope, given the fact that we're still dependent on them for important things coming down the supply chain, like food and drugs and PPE and all sorts of things? Well, I will just say at this point, Uh, We are, as a matter of policy deliberations, we are looking at different options uh, to perhaps bring American companies uh, located in China and perhaps elsewhere around the world back home uh, to the U.S. There are a number of ways to do that. Um, 
By the way, full cash expensing, 100% cash expensing, which is going to be phasing down in the next year or two for American companies, that has to be bolstered. That's a key pro-growth incentive element. That would apply. We could pay the moving expenses for these companies. There are a number of options we are looking at. Uh, so we'll have to, I don't want to get ahead of that curve. But yes, we, we'd like these supply chains to be based here. I think to some extent, uh, we've seen the importance of that. Now, I don't want to do this overnight or I don't want to jar markets or anything like that. So we will work through. We will talk to the Chinese. We do have the phase one China deal, by the way. The USTR uh, issued a report, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, that phase one deal with China is moving along maybe a little slow on the commodity purchases because of the damage to the economy, all our economies from the virus. But um, it appears, at least at this point, that China is uh, working to implement the trade deal. So we will see. They have a lot to answer for. They're going to be held accountable. But again, full faith and credit of the United States uh, debt obligations will be maintained. That is sacrosanct. Larry, I hope you'll You'll forgive me if this is a dumb question, but does the president or the administration believe that somehow the Chinese engineered the release of this virus to either derail his reelection or weasel out of phase one or both? Uh, Carl, there are a lot of theories around. There are a lot of discussions around. The president has his views on this. Those views are being developed with the help of our uh, intelligence people and others. So I don't want to go too far down that road. It'll be up to the president to make final decisions here. What, what we know with certainty, we had the G7 video teleconference meeting. Uh, let's see, it's about two weeks ago now. Uh, pretty much all the G7 leaders agreed the virus originated in China. And some of those G7 leaders were particularly uh, vociferous about the lack of Chinese transparency and cooperation in pursuing investigations to get to the bottom of this. So that is an open discussion, an ongoing discussion. All right, Larry, always great to hear from you. Thank you for coming thanks. on the show. Yeah, thanks. Just to follow up a little bit on uh, what Carl's talking about, if the president feels that the Chinese acted inappropriately, there are a lot of ways that he could... Uh, the spirit of performance defines Acura, and now... It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Really come after and retaliate. One would be to raise the tariffs. Now, that was fine when we had unemployment that was incredibly low, but if you have 30 million people unemployed, we know that that harkens back to the Great Depression if you raise tariffs, even if you totally despise the Chinese and think you did a very bad actor. Wouldn't it be better to wait instead of retaliating, say, against them on key technologies or raising tariffs? Uh, Look, as I said before, put it in this framework, an important way to look at it. It seems like years ago, but it was really just a few months ago, we signed a good phase one trade deal with China. And as I said, USTR has put out a report recently uh, which indicates that the Chinese are cooperating and implementing. So that's a very important piece. Uh, With respect to future tariff decisions uh, and other measures, uh, that's going to be up to the president. Uh, I don't know that there's any rush right now. Our efforts here are to, first of all, continue to uh, get this virus down, open up the economy, uh, get folks back to work. Uh, Let's get some economic growth back. There's a lot of pent-up demand. Let's help businesses survive. Let's help payroll workers survive. As you know, things of all those things. That's really subject number one right now, and we are making progress on that. So on, on the China business, Uh, It's up in the air. They are going to be held accountable for it. There's no question about that. How, when, where, and why, I'm going to leave that up to the president this morning. Okay, let's switch to the economy directly. Uh, We know that the activities to keep people in their job are extraordinary. It's really one of the most amazing programs, whether it be PPP or what the Federal Reserve is doing. But there's one element of it that you taught me, Larry, when we were partners, which you have to be careful not to over-incentivize people not to work. We have, right. raised the, we have raised the unemployment benefits to the point where, as a small business person, I cannot compete with the government to keep people. And yet I got PPP for one of my places. I am concerned that the government has made it impossible for me to rehire given the fact that I can't beat the government. What do you do? It's an important concern. It's a very good concern. Uh, the unemployment plus-up, 600 bucks uh, federal plus-up, which has created some of these disincentives that you uh, talk about, uh, is something we will be looking at very, very carefully. As you may know, it ends in July. And so I, a lot of people are concerned about the incentive. Look, we've tried to do this in a way that will create incentives, not destroy them, for both work uh, and business. So we have payroll tax holiday for business. Uh, The president, as you know, is very keen on a payroll tax holiday uh, for the workforce. That would gross up their after-tax income uh, by roughly 7.6%. So that would be a good start in that direction. We are also looking internally, and uh, I'm not authorized to make pronouncements. We're having some very strong discussions Uh, with the economics team and the president. But we're looking very carefully at middle-class tax relief, at middle-class regulatory relief, at helping the restaurants 
and uh, the baseball stadiums and so forth uh, with uh, larger uh, deductions. Uh, we're also looking at shielding, liability shields for these small businesses as they open up. Um, as you know, we've provided uh, 175 million Americans with assistance, cash, and liquidity to keep them going through this incredibly difficult hardship uh, period uh, until we get to the other side, hopefully in the second half of the year. But we are aware of the disincentive issue. That's why we're looking at a lot of middle-class tax and regulatory relief. And uh, I know there's strong sentiment uh, in some quarters, uh, both here in the White House and on Capitol Hill, uh, to look very carefully at that unemployment plus-up, which created the disincentives. Maybe we needed it. Maybe we needed it at the beginning, because you pull out all stops. That's what government has to do with an unbelievable, you know, hundred-year crisis kind of thing. But that doesn't mean forever. We want folks to work. I think Americans want to work. You know, Jimmy, you probably saw on the GDP uh, a 13 percent saving rate in the first quarter. That's a remarkable number. That just shows you there's some pent-up demand out there. The second quarter's going to be worse numbers, no right. question about it. The hardship issue is going to be even more difficult. It's happening now. Uh, but hopefully we can provide growth incentives. So when the states reopen, and May is the transition month, May and June probably, when the reopening comes, this economy will be poised to resume the uh, strong growth that uh, President Trump's policies uh, fostered in the first years. Well, I just applaud everything that's done to be able to keep people to work. It's been, it's been monumental. I, I think it's shocked people, and it's one of the reasons why I believe that the market is up, despite what's happening. But let me ask you, Larry, is there a limit to the amount of money that the Fed, that the federal governments, all its different entities, can pump into the economy? Or is it one of those things where you just say the limit is anything that it takes to not have a Great Depression? Well, look, I think, I think we've all suggested that we will do whatever it takes. Um, early in this, the president said, uh, he will use all the powers of the federal government uh, to provide assistance uh, to help folks and businesses. So there's always that. Um, now that we're moving forward, again, we are looking at policies uh, that will provide growth incentives, not, not just more cash and liquidity, but actual growth incentives. And we'd like to restart entrepreneurship, uh, for example. Uh, we had the animal spirits roaring roaring in recent years. Heck, January and February in Q1 was showing a run rate of 3.1 percent at an annual rate before the virus came down exponentially uh, in ways that nobody anticipated. So my, 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 my thought here is you kind of have to do both, Jim. I, you can't close the door on necessary assistance programs, but by the same token, you have to think through what are the best growth incentive policies for the medium and longer run for the economy. And I, I'm heartened to some extent. I mean, this is a terrible situation. It's, it's hardship and difficulty everywhere. But look, CBO and a bunch of private surveys and the Wall Street Journal Economist survey, they're looking at uh, almost 20% growth in the second half of 2020 and uh, almost 3% growth in 2021. And I believe. Uh, after we pause, this is kind of a pause period, uh, when we come back and uh, discuss with Congress that growth incentives will be crucial uh, to whatever policy actions we take.
Larry, it's David. On that note, I mean, we have many uh, CEOs from some of the largest companies in the country join us and have this week. And many of them are talking about what are fairly significant cuts to their capital expenditures uh, and a phased in return to work in terms of at least to the workplace for their workers. Uh, we can imagine that behavior on the part of the American consumer is not going to change overnight. So I hear you saying you're going to see or hope to see, you're always optimistic, significant growth next year. But are, how do you really get there, you know, given all the cutting that's taking place right now and the uncertainty that still exists in terms of what behaviors are really going to look like? Yeah, well, those are important points. Look, we've been meeting with CEOs constantly in every industry in America. Uh, we had major retailers in earlier uh, this week. I've sat in all of these meetings. I've done the conference calls and so forth. So you're right. Uh, I think there is a transition. I think, you know, what we hear, companies are anxious to reopen, but they know how important health and safety and security is. So I'll go back to our guidelines put out by the medical team a few weeks ago, where there has to be a 14-day, within 14 days, the downward adjustment uh, in new cases, uh, best practices for uh, cleanliness, of course, maybe taking your temperature or the forehead temperature thing goes fast. These new test kits, David, uh, we do them here at the White House every week. There's swabs in your nose. You get results very, very quickly. I think all these things will come into play. That's what the top business executives want. That's what the top labor unions executives want. We've talked to them as well. So we'll have to work through this. The states uh, will make these decisions. The individual companies will make these decisions. And I just hope they pay a lot of attention to our uh, guidelines as they say they will. You know, last point, David, on this. One of the characteristics of dealing with a crisis here you know, that the last time it happened was about 100 years ago, is that President Trump, as a matter of instinct and, and philosophy, has every step of the way worked with the private sector. There's reason that we have spent so much time, and Vice President Mike Pence as well deserves so much credit. We have spent so much time with the businesses, and the unions for that matter, but I mean, we've relied on the businesses uh, with respect to respirators and ventilators and test kits and uh, therapies now and vaccinations. This is a very strong cooperative effort. It's not just government top-down controls. It's uh, incredibly heavy use of private sector entrepreneurship and, you know, skills and management. They're awful smart. They're probably smarter than we are. So that gives me hope that working cooperatively, we can get through this. I believe, David, yes, I am an optimist always. I believe we can get through this. I believe the worst is nearly over. I hope and pray that that is the case. Uh, and I think uh, as this uh, uh, infection rate case comes down, it's an omen that America is not far from getting to the other side. Look, let's face it, health and safety is vital. But economic health and safety is also vital. So we are trying to balance the two. Yeah. On that point, Larry, uh, McConnell has made liability protection a pretty big deal here as a condition for further stimulus. How do you get people to agree to come back to work uh, when they are uncertain about uh, their recourse if they get sick again at work? 
Well, I don't think that's the issue. I mean, employees will be taken care of. There's a lot of workmen's compensation and OSHA rules here. I think, rather, the issue, and this is something I support, is a liability shield for businesses, particularly the small businesses that may not have this uh, insurance-type protection. I mean, this is a tricky business. You want to emphasize health and safety, absolutely. And I'll leave it up to the restaurants and the small stores and the large stores and the office buildings. They will figure out ways uh, to do that. And that's one of the big topics of conversation. But having said that, just, you know, kind of think. So a restaurant opens up. I'll use a restaurant as an example. Uh, customers come in. Uh, presumably the physical distancing is, is, is adequate. And, um, you know, maybe you test their forehead for temperature, something like that. Uh, three days later, unfortunately or tragically, perhaps they come down uh, with the virus. Now, it's awfully hard to know where that contact may have happened. And I think there's a lot of instincts uh, in parts of our uh, society, you know who I'm talking about, that they just will come in and sue right away, and these businesses will go out of business having hardly started again. There has to be some protection here. Uh, I don't want to call it frivolous lawsuits, but I'm just saying in a highly contagious uh, virus situation, I think there should be a liability shield. I think Senator McConnell is exactly right, and there's an awful lot of sympathy for that point of view inside the White House. Well, Larry, I, I think you raised a really great point. Uh, let's use the restaurant example and press that. Uh, you're, I've done the budgets for my restaurants. Um, revenues are in half. I mean, you don't have to really think about that. You have to take out half the seats. You can't do uh, physical distancing without that. Uh, but uh, costs remain the same. Uh, how about incentives to be able to at least tide us over until we have a vaccine? Well, uh, one incentive we're looking at, this may not be what you're thinking about, Jimmy, is that uh, business meals and entertainment and so forth used to be 100% deductible, and then it was knocked down to 50%, I believe, in the Tax uh, Act of 2017. Uh, I think that there's a large sentiment here to move that back up to 100%, which might help the volume of customers as these businesses uh, and, and their restaurants uh, start up again. That's one thought. There may be other thoughts as well. Uh, again, too, uh, the president is very keen on cutting the payroll tax. Uh, we did it for businesses to year end. He wants to do it for the other side. Uh, for the workforce, I think those are kinds of things that would help at least get the tax costs down and at least provide some incentives at the margin. There may be lots of other ways to do it, but we we just it, we we can do this. Look, we can figure this out. We have to emphasize health and safety, absolutely, but we also have to emphasize economic growth incentives across the board. I don't want to be raising taxes, Jimmy. I don't mm -hmm. want to be re-regulating the economy, Jimmy. This Good. is not the time for that. This is the time to open the country, to open the businesses, to open the economy, to liberalize, to make it pay to work, to make it pay to invest, to make it pay to start up a new company, to make it pay to hire uh, 100 workers that become 500 workers that five years later become 5,000 workers. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. This is a time to open up this economy. And we have to consider that as we are here. We're going through a rigorous policy process right now. Thank you, Larry. Thank you.
Always All good right. to talk. Larry, it's, it's good to see you. All right. Thanks, uh, Larry fellas. Be well, be safe, and thanks yes. for having me back. I appreciate you it. You too. In the meantime, Jim, uh, we lost 24K just uh, by a shade here. Boeing and Verizon really the only uh, two propping the Dow up at the moment. Well, look, I, I see a lot of positives. Uh, I went over my notes yesterday on Apple. You, Josh and I do get an opportunity to speak to, uh, to Tim Cook and to Luca Maestri, the CFO. And, and the questions that I had were about being at home. The work from home is just incredible. Uh, we all know that. And that's just a great thing for Apple because many of us have Apple at home and are stuck with these other companies at, at work. And he thinks that could change. Uh, the enterprise may not be the tyranny that it has been and that maybe Apple will get into the enterprise far more. I thought that was a re- very important. And then another thing that he said, you know, the, I was worried about the physical distancing of the stores. And, uh, and Tim said, don't. Don't. The online is off the charts. So I felt very good. Again, I reiterate that what I was most worried about was something that Larry Kudlow addressed. I thought in answer to your questions, Carl, that there is not going to be a strong retaliatory uh, effort right now. Now, maybe Larry is an optimist and that would be an optimistic view. But I felt much better about the principal worry that I had going into today. Does that mean we can't go down? But it just didn't sound to me, I don't know whether you heard it this way, that we are about to have an escalation of the trade war right now. I I tried to open the door for him to go through it. uh, And at this moment, uh, Jim, how many times did he say he didn't want to get ahead of uh, the curve on that? Well, that makes me feel more sanguine. No, you don't let the market come in a little. Makes sense. But maybe not 4%, maybe 2%. I thought it was good. David, I know that um, at times uh, you like to temper my enthusiasm. So, David, temper my enthusiasm. Uh, Well, listen, I mean, you know, Kudlow is unrelentingly optimistic. You know that. And, um, I mean, he is the person who said the virus is relatively contained. And, by the way, we did come back on that. Well, it was a statement that was said on our air Right. Not that long ago, and obviously it well, was correct. Don't get mad. Uh, uh, you know, correct. don't get mad at me. I'm just yeah. Making, um, are you mad at me? So we'll just have to wait. Are you mad at me? As my father uh, he would is, say, he's mad he at you, the, Jim. He isn't. He is in the room. He is part of the policy making of the administration, and so it is important to hear from him to get a sense as to what is being thought about. Uh, guys, listen. I, you know, we, we we talked about the market. It is largely down. We spent some time on Boeing yesterday, telling people that there appeared to be significant demand for a bond offering at various maturities. They got it done. They upped it to twenty-five billion, as I had reported. Seventy billion in an order book had been there for Boeing. And what's interesting in the credit markets, and this is one of the largest bond offerings of all time, um, is not just that it's given Boeing enough money to avoid government uh, right. uh, money. Uh, but also that it's taken them well past uh, this year, this time next year, probably into 2022 in terms of their liquidity needs, which is so important. And, Jim, you know, what you hear in the credit markets is we're back to sort of a range on credit that reflects a normal recession, as opposed to what were more dire pricings going on not that long ago. Yeah, I I was following this thing, David. I thought this this is, I said at the top, more important than Apple, more important than Amazon. If, if, if Boeing didn't get that money and they go to Treasury, then I got to tell you, what we would be looking at is, uh, I think, the beginning of the end of major industries that will be actually nationalized. It, it could get that bad. Instead, the institutions came in big 
And uh, for 5%, for a company that maybe that doesn't have the, the max, uh, that has uh, clients that are all hurting. So to me, this was the most optimistic thing that occurred, David. And I don't want to be a Larry Kudlow apologist, which I just was, obviously. Um, but but <laughs> the, the most important thing that happened was that there was money for Boeing. I mean, David, even yeah. the one of the greatest investors of our time, David Portnoy, said he wanted to punch Boeing right in the nose. Now, you may not know David Portnoy. Remember, Warren Buffett meets this weekend with his accolades. David Portnoy meets with his barstool traders all the time. But I do think that Boeing is not the bleeding sore that we thought it was. And, David, why did they want that? Why did they take 5%? Is that that some magic level that they felt, you know what, that'll help my performance? Yeah, well, um 450 over is where the thing was priced more or less over right. the corresponding treasury, right? Obviously, you're going from, what, two years to as much as 40 years in terms of the disparity of paper that they actually issued out there. So, you know, uh, you take it. And by the way, they the pricing initially talk was higher, but it came down as there, right. as there was so much demand for it, which just shows. Um, but it is a duopoly in a worldwide right. market that we know well one day. One day, and Dave Calhoun said on our air a few days ago, it could be quite a few, quite a few years, but one day we'll come back to what it was and they will get the 737 max up in the air uh, working again as well, Jim. So that's what investors believe. Listen, no you equity, can get 5% David. paper in this market. Well, and no, no equity. equity. No. I, no. I was surprised. No I did not. I thought it'd be at 125 equity and I thought they'd pay six. And they did, you know, these yeah. were four. They'd have to go to, to Secretary Mnuchin. Not as part of the PPP, David. They took their, they took their time, and they, and they waited and they waited for the capital markets to sort of be ready for them. Good CFO. Obviously, a lot of that also has to do with the Fed, uh, yeah, and, and Chair Powell in terms of what they've done to help support those capital markets. By the way, it's not just investment grade. I mean, we've seen a lot of activity in high yield as well, and that's very important in terms of the ability of these companies to be able to raise liquidity, and so many are so focused on liquidity. They're not focused on growth or anything like that, just staying alive, but they've been able to do it. Bankruptcies are happening because this, this crisis has accelerated what might have come anyway. Right. Bankruptcies are going to continue to happen. They're going to happen in energy. They're going to happen in retail. But those companies that were viable are staying viable as a result of the largesse of the capital markets right now. All great points. It's so true. And even down to the, the airlines themselves, Jim, City uh, has a note out today on their cash burn estimates for the group. Uh, and the range is getting wider now. They see now five to 13 months of liquidity versus prior six to 12. So um, and I see JPM on Boeing goes to 158. So um, there'll be a, a little more clearer picture over time about the winners versus the losers. Right. I, I remember, we did have this big spike uh, two days ago which I felt was a big short squeeze, a lot of covering of the cruise lines, of the hotels, of the, of the, the industries that people really felt that were uh, really hurt. Uh, oil bottomed, according to Mike Worth, uh, and, and he made, uh, from the CEO of Chevron, he made a very compelling case that things are going to get better. It is interesting that oil has been nothing but up since the minus 37 day. Uh, and even though Concho reported a, a hideous loss, that's, of course, a write-down. And Exxon had a loss if you uh, a lot of charges there. You, you did feel more sanguine about an industry that you really know is on the ropes. So I think that you combine 
uh, what we got on remdesivir with what we're hearing about the finances of some of these companies. You, you see why April is up. It doesn't necessarily make it so that May should rally. April is up because of these things. Right. Right. Uh, to Jim's point, WTI at the highest since April 1 today. Let's get to Rick Santelli uh, this morning on this Friday. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Yeah, so real quickly, I just want to hit in on that deal David was talking about, $25 billion for the lowest rungs of investment grade in Boeing. Uh, what I found really intense was not only was it $25 billion, which is obviously huge, it was well oversubscribed to, but it came in at better pricing. We were looking at maybe 550 over. Basically, the whole thing was around 450 basis points over. Uh, certain tranches uh, were the 40-year was the highest yield at 462 over. But that's really good news that it priced better. Uh, Boeing had to pay less than they originally had thought. Now, let's go to one-week charts. One week of two years no yields, you can see it's drifting lower. One week of tens, we're sideways on the week. We keep bouncing off these high 50 levels, which is only a few basis points higher than the lowest close ever. So the long end is going nowhere fast. And if you look at the biggest events of the week, it's about the euro currency. And keep in mind, if they ever share debt, if they ever do a common bond, that would be bullish for euros. Okay, a one week of the euro versus dollar, even though May Day, a lot of these markets are closed, it's up. But it's also up against the euro versus yen. It's also up on the euro versus is the pound. This is significant. You really want to pay attention to the strength in the euro. And we have some breaking news. Our April final read on the market manufacturing PMI. Uh, this PMI is only goes back to May of 2017, but it's enlightening nonetheless. 36.1, that follows 36.9. 36.9 was the lowest ever in basically the three years it's been around, so so is 36.1. But we want to keep you abreast of all of these. And of course, we'll have some big breaking news at the top of the hour with national ISM and construction spending. Uh, Carl, Jim, and David, back to you. All right, Jim. Rick, we'll see you in a few minutes. Uh, Rick Santelli. Jim, I did want to get to Beyond Meat with you because uh, it's a year ago today. We got the pricing. And today, Wells goes to underweight. They think that economic conditions are going to forestall the wide adoption of plant-based meat. Like, I, I disagree with that. I mean, I know also that uh, Donald thinks it's a bit of a hobby. I, I think that there's a lot here. I think it's also a, a will become an even safer alternative as we read about more and more meatpacking operations that sound like the ones that uh, uh, that Upton Sinclair wrote about in, in Chicago, the turn of the century. Uh, I really think that this is not a sale. I think that this is here to stay. Uh, plant-based is the way people like to uh, to. Uh, younger people really like it, including people who are, are non vegetarian. There is a food service business, and there the Wells analyst was right. Worried about food service. Almost every food company has food service, and it's been a disaster. But I think the younger people aren't going to back away because of a Wells downgrade. That, I don't know. I think those people think it's a stagecoach. Hmm. <laughs> uh, the other name we um, didn't get to this morning was Clorox, which I know you have tonight. Oh, yeah. I mean, look. Clorox had, what, 17% growth. I mean, one of the things about Clorox is, uh, let's face it, uh, bleach kills. And bleach is the only thing that really does kill. And uh, everybody trusts it. Uh, the biggest problem Clorox ha- had was that they couldn't make enough. That's a high-quality problem. Uh, I carry with me everywhere. I mean, I carry the Clorox thing with me everywhere. Pe- people who aren't carrying the Clorox, I think, are risking something. And I know Lysol is very is a comer, but this is Clorox's time. And I think I have been on one tonight. He will not say that because he's not trying to profiteer. It's not like East of Eden. He's not trying to, you know, he doesn't have the stuff that they need in World War One. But the guy's got the best product portfolio for this particular moment of any of the consumer packaged goods companies. 
He doesn't make um, toilet let's paper. Let's get to Bapasani as well this morning. Good morning, guys. Happy Friday. Uh, rough start to May. The uh, market, though, remember, has had quite a rally. We've regained about 60 percent of the losses that we saw uh, in March and April. Just want to take a look at the sectors because Amazon's really weighing on things. It's down about 5 percent. So the consumer discretionary sector where Amazon in is having a good time. Uh, banks are having a rough time. Banks are down. Tech's down here. We got the, the semis down. Lamb Research, uh, Micron, Apple all weighing on the tech sector. Energy week, consumer staples, not surprisingly, outperforming today on a relative basis. Uh, the defensive stocks uh, doing better. Uh, the question is, how does it look for May? There's sort of three little worry points here. I had a little chat with Art Cashin about this uh, last night here. The, the most obvious concern for the rally is a potential wave of reinfections that might force some states to shut down. Obviously, that would be bad. And obviously, that's the, uh, the clear risk out there. But a lot of other people think that uh, the reopening may be a little bit slower uh, than expected. And, and a lot of people last night were asking me about whether this new tariff war was brewing out there. And uh, Art Cashin certainly did ask me that. And you heard Larry Kudlow uh, on that. And the answer is we don't know yet. Uh, but that's certainly a possibility. Speaking of Art, I did talk to him. And he said that other than the wave of reinfections, he actually thinks uh, the, the reopening could be a bit of a bust, uh, that people are not going to be flocking to bars and restaurants and movie theaters and airlines uh, in any kind of level that people are uh, hoping for, and that the V-shaped recovery is uh, unlikely. A lot more uh, my discussion with Art at tradertalk.cnbc.com this morning. We'll hopefully get Art back on very, very soon. Elsewhere, though, if you look at the good news, bad news stories with some of these earnings commentary, these strange contradictory comments in there. So look at Visa here. They said their numbers were hit hard in travel and fuel and restaurants and entertainment. But then they also said they've seen a big surge in online spending. Okay, sort of good news and bad news there. Whirlpool said the same thing. 2020 revenue is going to decline 13 to 18 percent. Ouch. That's not good news. But then they also said consumers were buying a lot more freezers to put all these all this food in and buying KitchenAid mixers uh, on top of that. So these sound a little bit contradictory. They're not if you really dig deep, but it makes it hard to sort of figure out where things are going to be going in the long term. Finally, just want to know we're always interested in reopenings. SIBO this morning said they were eyeing a June First, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to note the company's pulling guidance right here. Duncan, Honeywell, Stryker, Newell. We put this up every day. Companies withdrawing guidance, making it very difficult to figure out what the proper prices are for stocks. Go back to SIBO uh, here. They put in a comment this morning, June 1st. They're considering reopening. Obviously, that's dependent on whether they can make the people coming on the floor feel safe. This is obviously an issue for the New York Stock Exchange as well. And what's the issue for feeling safe? Is it some kind of biomarker? Is it a positive test, a negative test? Those are the issues they're going to be dealing with. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob. We'll see you in a little bit. Uh, Bob Pisani. Uh, so the market's down uh, by about almost one and uh, three quarters percent. Boeing and Verizon trying to stay green, but not by much. And all 11 sectors are red. We're back in just a moment. S&P giving back some gains from the best month since 1987 as Europe is closed today. And we keep a close eye on more White House commentary regarding U.S.-China relations. More Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Don't go away. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. When you cut your dividend, Carl, even though some people feel it's knowledge that, that could happen, it still shocks people. Western Digital had a terrific 5% yield coming into last night when they reported and they got rid of their dividend. 
I know you're going to be talking to them later, but it's uh, stocks down six and a half. And yet I think they did the right thing. Conserving cash at a time like this is not a bad idea. They had to fix their balance sheet. Uh, can't be crazed about the, wanting to own the stock right now. There's a lot better opportunities, including Apple and Amazon. But pointing out that when you get rid of the dividend, it hurts. Uh, guys, um, Jim Uh-oh. and Carl, I did want to quickly, in the brief time we have, take a look at Charter Communications that reported earnings. So did all TCUSA. That continued um, surge, of course, in new connections for people who want broadband uh, is powering that stock. Charter shares are up 5% this year, up almost 3% on the session right now. They did add a lot of uh, residential broadband customers. They did lose a good amount on the video side, but remember, broadband is the key product, the far higher margin product. We saw with our parent company yesterday as well with record ads in terms of broadband, although significant losses in residential video, but the market is rewarding that. And by the way, the read-through is to the likes of a Netflix, for example, which is also up this morning. More people connecting, more people getting those services that allow them to stream in the home in a very effective way. And our thanks here to all our broadband providers. So far, so good. Netflix going to, a, I think it goes to an all-time <laughs> high. What a stock. Fang. Yeah. And then, Jim, uh, next week we're going to get uh, Disney and Discovery and Viacom uh, to kick around, along with Berkshire tomorrow and Mad Money tonight. Well, we've got the best acting. We got Clorox tonight. We also have Estee Lauder. Can't believe that was uh, that stock isn't down big, but it's so, so well run. And then Seattle Genetics, which is probably the stock that's up the most today because of some breakthroughs. What a day! What a week! Yeah, we have these eight day eight It'll days a week things now. What, David? I know. It'll be interesting, Carl, to see Disney next week. You know, I did notice on our parent company Comcast numbers, five hundred million dollar EBITDA loss from having the theme parks closed. Now, that's not as part of, important a part of the business, but that's a big number. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see what Disney has to tell us on theme parks, on how they reopen them, on ESPN, on the closure of or the lack of production right now. Of course, Disney Plus has been the big plus for the company, Jim, which, you know, is down 26 percent for the year. But some say perhaps. Uh, is being rewarded for being the icon that it is. I think that's exactly why uh, they can raise capital. The stock was down in the 90s, the high 80s. Uh, it bounced effectively. But, David, i got to tell you, almost you know, every one of their businesses, with the exception of Disney Plus, is challenged. So I think it's perfectly realistic to expect that stock go down next week unless they can show that Disney Plus is even more profitable than we think. It's, it's not – I yeah. have always liked nope. Disney, but this is a tough one right here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep our eyes open for any commentary on parks or live sports, for that matter, Jim. Uh, boozy house party this weekend. We'll see you later. We got the boozy brunch. Uh, it's on Zoom. <laughs> David, I'm not going to give you the password, but uh, I got to tell you, it's really an extraordinary event. Uh, it's because it's the only thing that I where I get to have real communication with anybody. Take it where you're you going to be overserved. Last week <laughs> it was mezcal and orange juice, and whoever put that drink together. Trust me. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.